It is Wednesday, January 17th, 2024, and this is Ozarks at Large. I'm Matthew Moore. Today, the Northwest Arkansas Land Trust and the work to protect 10,000 acres of land. It never ceases to amaze me at the, the awe moment that when I come through that tunnel and I start seeing all the landscape that's protected there, wow, this is here forever, and that's just wonderful. Plus... Griffin Loop wants you to come to his art without preconceived ideas. You know, and there's nothing better than that reveal, to be surprised by something. Because then that allows you to further explore what it is. And Ryan Rogers' degree in physics and theoretical chemistry don't tell his whole story. And I thought, this is, like, Arkansas makes a perfect pocket shape. It has a big... um, It has a big flat top that you could just make a hole, right? First, the news from NPR. The exhibit Annie Leibovitz at Work is closing soon at Crystal Bridges Museum of American Art in Bentonville. It features daring portraits for Rolling Stone, Vanity Fair, and Vogue, as well as new portraits made just for Crystal Bridges. Only open until January 29th. Tickets at crystalbridges.org. This is Ozarks at Large for Wednesday, January 17th, 2024. I'm Matthew Moore. Ozarks at Large is a production of KUAF Public Radio. We've got a jam-packed show today, so let's just jump right in. You don't have to be especially observant to notice how quickly Northwest Arkansas is growing. Despite the steady expansion, the Northwest Arkansas Land Trust is working to ensure the metro doesn't outgrow its natural surroundings. The trust recently announced an initiative called 10K4NWA. Ozarks at Large's Jack Travis sat down with the Trust's Executive Director, Grady Spann, to learn more. Northwest Arkansas is a rapidly developing region. The area's population is set to hit 1 million by 2045, and U.S. News & World Report, the same people behind those best places to live lists, ranks Fayetteville as the 15th fastest growing city in the United States. Most other cities on the list are located in Florida, a state famous for its urban development in spite of considerable environmental obstacles. During the 1900s, Florida drained their wetlands to make way for cities and farmland, and now only 50% of the original Everglades remain, and biodiversity has suffered. While development shows no signs of slowing in northwest Arkansas, there are those working to prevent urban expansion from wrecking the natural landscape that many people in this region hold dear. The Northwest Arkansas Land Trust is one such organization that has recently set a lofty goal of protecting 10,000 acres across the region. And so we want this place to remain as beautiful as it is today. We want that same beauty, that same just awesomeness of of what is all around us to be available for generations to come. That's Grady Spann. He's the executive director of the Land Trust. He spent nearly three decades working with Arkansas State Parks before coming to the Trust, and he says his time working at parks made him realize how important their impact is on people's lives. I just happened to run across uh, an opportunity with Northwest Arkansas Land Trust and realized that the work that the Land Trust does protecting our natural landscapes, protecting quality of water, protecting access to outdoor recreation, protecting small farm operations, protecting natural habitats really was impactful to me because we did essentially a lot of those same things in state parks. And the unique part of this is this is, you know, nonprofit 501c3 organization. So it depends on, you know, building support from the grassroots level up to 
help promote and protect what we love so much about Northwest Arkansas. Land trusts preserve and manage donated land. They also offer conservation easement services to landowners who want to protect their land permanently. Easements are voluntary legal agreements that permanently limit the uses of property to protect its conservation values. So conservation easements are really the the keystone to how we do uh, protect land. We work with private landowners. We're not a government agency. We don't, uh, you know, use tax dollars or anything, but we work with landowners that are interested in protecting their land. In other words, their land legacy. Some landowners are just very passionate about the fact that their family has owned this land for generations and they want to maintain it in the state that it is today. And so we work with landowners and each conservation easement is a voluntary agreement with that landowner to protect that property from development. But each conservation easement is tailored to that landowner's wishes. So some landowners may want to protect 100% of their property, which is fine. And the land, you know, has conservation value too. We assess all that. And then some landowners say, well, I want, I want to protect these 80 acres and then these five acres, I need to keep that for my children to build a house. And, and so every one of them is different. And so we work hand in hand with landowners to, to create that you know, balance of conservation and development, conservation and land legacy with that landowner. So that's really the best way to protect land. The trust has been working to protect land since 2003. In celebration of their 20th anniversary last year, they announced a new initiative, 10K for NWA. The trust has dedicated itself to setting up protections on 10,000 acres of land in Northwest Arkansas along with other 10K-themed fundraising opportunities. Span says the name came about during a team meeting and stuck because of the potential gravity of such an achievement. 10,000 acres is roughly the size of Manhattan Island, and protecting 10K for NWA would mark a major milestone for regional conservation. They're close to meeting that goal, too. In December, the trust finalized its 44th property easement around an area called Breeze Bluffs in southern Washington County. The 130-acre property's protection brings the trust's total to 7,495 protected acres, nearly three-quarters of the way to 10,000. But that's not where we stop. That's just the goal for the next couple of years, we hope. And we want to continue to grow the acreage we, we need to protect. At 10,000 acres will simply be a stepping stone to go to the 15,000 acres to go on. But we also can use 10K for NWA as a fundraising opportunity where we might, you know, we depend on grassroots support. Can I get 10,000, you know, monthly subscribers at $25 each, you know, to support conservation work? Can we do a 10K run? through uh, Lake Francis when that all gets open as a fundraising event for uh, supporting conservation work in, in Northwest Arkansas. So it was just a phrase that's catchy. It's, it's a good goal for us. It's a big milestone to protect 10,000 acres. If you look at, in my world, state parks, that would make our properties the second largest state park in Arkansas. So, it, but we're also at 44 different properties, too, so <laughs> it's spread out a lot of areas, but each of those properties is significant, and, and the work that it 
or the, the conservation value it has and the impact it has on our daily lives. Span says every acre they protect is important. However, properties are unique and offer diverse benefits. Some feature streams that flow into the Illinois River watershed or Beaver Lake watershed, which provide the region with clean drinking water. Others include farmland that are now protected sources for locally grown foods. Breeze Bluff's protection is significant as it's situated within the Boston Mountain Wildlife Corridor Priority Area, which is critical for wildlife movement. Span says landowners are the backbone of the Trust's entire operation. They're really our strongest partners. They're our greatest support because what they're doing is giving up value to their land. If you add up all the easements that we've had uh, put in place right now, it equals about $15 million. So it's huge. But that's land value, and they've, get, they've allowed that to be put in a conservation easement, be put in permanent protection to keep this natural landscape around us that we all love so much. So, you know, our landowners are really the heroes here that really stepped up to the plate and said, you know what, I believe in conservation. I believe in protecting this natural landscape. I believe in protection of water. I believe in, in making sure that this stream is always clean, and I'm going to protect it forever. Span says he thinks Northwest Arkansas is unique in how dedicated the community is to preserving its surrounding landscape. He says it usually strikes him as he travels north up Interstate 49. It never ceases to amaze me at the, the awe moment that when I come through that tunnel and I start seeing all the landscape that's protected there, wow, this is here forever, and that's just wonderful. And I think communities really want to see conservation at work because – you know, I think down deep inside, people realize that there has to be a balance. And we are the organization that can create that balance, the Northwest Arkansas Land Trust, by balancing, you know, protection of land, protection of small farm operations, protection of natural landscapes, you know, water sources, all the things we just talked about in conjunction with the development that's, that's going on here, which is a gift for Northwest Arkansas. You can visit nwalandtrust.org to learn more about the organization, 10K for NWA, how to get involved as a volunteer, or to set up an easement on your own property. For Ozarks at Large, I'm Jack Travis. Still to come on our show, Ryan Rogers has degrees in physics and theoretical chemistry. He's a scientist with artistic and entrepreneurial instincts, too. Got out of grad school, and I finally had um, the personal time that I could invest in figuring out how to do this. And I don't sew anything. This is, you know, this is a project that I've collaborated with other folks on, um, talked with other experts to make various levels of prototypes. The scientist who has launched Northwest Arkansas-based brands in ceramics and clothing and how he got there later on Ozarks at Large. Monday was the celebration and remembrance of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday. KUAF's Community Engagement Director Jasper Logan recently sat with Dustin McGowan in the KUAF Listening Lab to discuss the history and legacy of Dr. King and what it continues to mean in our community today. As as a black man, like, I always approach, like, MLK Day and, like, Black History Month with this, like, almost a little bit of tension, you know what I mean? Like, excited for... Um, the idea that we get to that we had you know such a prominent figure in our community um and our lineage that uh 
that has done uh, an incredible a lot for um, black people, the black church, America, and the world. You know what I mean? The more time that separates, uh, that, that like gets packed in between his death um, and, you know, now, um, I feel like more of that like story gets blurred <laughs> mm-hmm. and gets reshaped and retold and repackaged in a way to help you know fit whatever agenda or narrative uh that the powers that be are trying to push or whatever does that make sense uh i have similar feelings when i approach uh mlk day when i approach black history month and the primary reason that i feel like that is because both of those events mlk day and black history month are days that have come into existence, celebrations, observances that have come into existence um, reluctantly. Mm. And so MLK Day was something that was fought against for two decades wow. after his death. Yeah. And so in this and it was rejected by conservatives and liberals. Mm. Both sides. And both sides. Yeah. There's a lot of revisionist history. There's a lot of whitewashing of King. There's a lot of whitewashing of Black History Month, watering those things down. Yeah. Right. To until we make somebody palatable. Yeah. We kind of make them a mascot. Yeah. For the uses of whatever we want to promote. Yeah. And so that has been what we've made the holiday by and large. And so, and we have the history, we have the the tendency to do that historically. We do that with things that if we were to talk about these people in their totality, right, they provide a lot of uncomfortableness for us. Mm. The more you can manipulate their words, right, and, and proof text, their quotes, you know, cherry pick, things that they've said yeah. out of context yeah. to prop up whatever you want to do. Yeah. And so that's what we've done with King, right? Because he challenges some status quo things that we don't want to have to think about mm. because we want to be able to move into the world the way that we want to without having to face those challenging ideas. Mm. But King is not just a static person in his life, in his work. What do you mean by that? And so King, as any of us do, evolves as a person. Mm, yeah. He matures. Yeah. And so a lot of times we miss how young King is. Yeah. And so King graduates from high school at 16, 15, yeah. graduates from college at 19. By the time he's 25, he has a PhD. Yeah. Right. And he has just become a pastor of a Baptist church and he is being voted to become the face of a boycott. Yeah. Right. The Montgomery bus boycott at 25 years old, which is crazy. Right. We don't think about that. Yeah. And he dies at 38. And so for between 25 years old and 38, that is King's life. 
we don't think about that. We 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 talk about him like he was this 40, 50 year old man, but yeah. he was twenty five to thirty eight is the window that we really get to see his work. Mm. And so, if we talk about our, I'm I'm almost thirty five. Yeah. And if I were to even think about the last 10 years of my own life and how much (laughs) I've grown and changed and how I think about the world, how I approach things, like there's been a lot of change. Like I I look at memories on social media, you know, on Facebook, they'll tell you things that you said, you know, a decade ago. And I cringe (laughs) at some of the things that I've said in the past, you know, compared to the way that I think about things now. Yeah. And so King is the same way. Like King had... Uh, a view and that view changes and so king becomes dangerous when he makes his shift to and this is the last four years of his life to where he is heavy on talking about economics he talks about the fact that he says we like to believe that you know capitalism was created in this vacuum built on the backs of puritan like values of of uh, hard work and mm-hmm. commitment. He says when really capitalism was built on the back of black people and it continues to thrive on the backs of poor people in our country now, yeah. black and white. And he says that that framework in and of itself is defunct. Yeah. And that's why he says things at the end of his life Like, I feel like I've integrated my people into a burning building. You can find more information about The Listening Lab online at KUAF.com slash The Listening Lab. This is Ozarks at Large. I'm Kyle Kellums. Today, we're adopting that well-known concept from improv training... Yes, and. This month, there have been a pair of interviews on our show that led us to seek out two of the voices we'll hear on today's show. In a bit, Ryan Rogers. We reached out to him after talking with Melissa Taylor from the Fayetteville Public Library about the Makers to Market program. Ryan was in a previous cohort of entrepreneurs in that program, and we wanted to ask him about his experience. We'll hear that ahead. Before that, Griffin Loop. Loop is an artist who is contributing a piece to the silent auction at this month's No Kid Hungry Dinner, taking place at the Hive in Bentonville. When I talked with that restaurant's executive head chef, Micah Klasky, I mentioned that I admired Griffin Loop's large public sculptures, like the resting giant paper airplane in Osage Park in Bentonville. Chef Klasky then kindly introduced Griffin Loop to me by email, and last week we met at the Ledger inside the Ramirez Room to talk about art inspiration, and more. I told Griffin Loop that his art, especially his public art, can be a surprise. And that's something valuable in a world where we can curate our own news feed, our entertainment selections, and almost everything else. A world with all information, and I'm always surprised that we want so much information before an experience. But what that does literally is allowing you to have a preconceived notion of what's going on, but we only know what was in the past. So you're bringing past thoughts and ideas into a present situation, which 
robs the present situation from providing the experience that there is. One of the three words Griffin Loop uses on his website to describe his work is express. I asked him about art as expression. I believe art is our greatest vehicle to have an experience in the world because it meets everyone uniquely where they're at and allows them to go wherever they want to go after that. You know, where other things are human to human is very, you have to understand me or, you know, it, it, it just, it meets everyone where they're at. Griffin Loop grew up in the mountains and he's lived in California. He says one of the few times he can slow his brain down is when he's on the beach gazing into the endless ocean. But now he lives here, and he's in the process of finishing a large studio property to create and showcase his art. He says the space is being designed to strip away preconceived notions that can rob us of the present, of being in the moment. He says he remembers when the artist Banksy, real identity unknown, would merely announce by email a time and location for a new work to be revealed, and no other information was needed or provided. Loop says stripping away as much information as possible can allow a piece to have its own experience. Maybe it's just right now I'm very focused on the journey to an experience, whether it's even going to dinner or an event or an art piece. So how through design or elements turn you in directions and so when you actually do arrive you're just there you know and there's nothing better than that reveal to be surprised by something because then that allows you to further explore what it is you know things that are just so front and center it might be beautiful but if it's just you know on a pedestal in the middle of town it's just easily like oh yeah that's just it should be there he says he's influenced by both architecture, and nature, almost any space, and that he views the world in terms of potential. And he's hyper-focused on almost any space he encounters. I can't help myself. When I walk into a space, I scan the room, and it's not necessarily seeing what is lacking, but I'm constantly seeing how can we make this reach its potential. And when considering potential, it means considering the responsibility a finished piece has for its surroundings, be it for a private patron or for public viewing. He says he doesn't create trophies, but wants his art to complement a place and the people who might inhabit that place. When he was considering his first large piece of art, he was spending time with a great friend and mentor, Swedish sculptor Hannes Wingate, who helped Griffin move forward with his activity. He's just a very profound human. He's one of those who you don't know if he's from the future or the past. You know, he carries just this universal knowledge and just like presence and he uh, the first thing that he said was why. You know, and he brought that into my realm of consciousness when I was making these large items of why. And it was funny, you know, after, you know, it, 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 what it did to, on my side, was make me, you know, think. Um, and I had to adjust, you know, at times I thought I had to have too much information of why, you know. Um, and it, it was funny, it, one of my pieces eventually, you know, he, he came and he's just, 
you know, not much emotion to the face, and he's just, why? And I was kind of fed up, and I was like, because it would be cool. And he said, great, why are you getting all worked up, you know? So I love that that realm of it, um, but for me, personally, I believe, especially if we're putting large objects into the world, I feel responsibility to uh, have some intention behind it, but all my artwork, regardless of where I'm putting it, uh, I take time to digest what's happening. One of Loop's larger pieces, Nest, is influenced by Wingate. Located in the Pacific Northwest, it's a steel 12-foot hand-woven dome resembling a bird's nest. It's metal, but it has no welds or ties holding it together. It was inspired by Wingate, who puts together such sculptures with natural materials. Griffin Loop's giant paper airplane, also made of steel in Osage Park in Bentonville, can certainly render surprise for the unsuspecting visitor, but at the same time, it looks at ease, as if a gust of wind picked it up and then gently settled the sculpture where it was supposed to land. Titled Launch Intention, it's part of a line of his similar works in Utah and Colorado. The airplanes developed organically after he whimsically created a one-foot paper airplane outline for a friend. It was random. You know, I wasn't fixated on a paper airplane, and I gave it to him for his birthday, and he said, uh, wouldn't it be cool to make a big one? And at that moment, it just struck me, like, yes, absolutely. And um, I became obsessed, started dreaming about it, and I had such this, like, desire to explore that that I... I started talking about it. Um, I was with an amazing group at a project out in Utah and I started just telling people, I'm gonna make a, you know, a giant paper airplane and how to build it is easy for me, um, but I found myself doing a lot of things outside my realm or my existing wheelhouse, you know, uh, convincing the company that I was working with to let me do it, raising funds, talking to city about permits, all these things that I probably couldn't be bothered doing. Um, and it, it was from that conviction of knowing that I wanted to do this. Long story short, the second plane that I made was 50 feet. And right at that moment through the process, I started obviously thinking about the paper airplane and I realized that it's one of the first things we create when we're young and it's one of the first things we launch into the world. The artist says the paper airplane represents something from a time in life when matters appear to be more clear. Ask a child a question, Griffin says, and you get an instant, honest answer. And through my experience with this project is where that stops and why. And made this 50-foot plane. It was in a small community where the project was at, and I, uh, I was linked to a local school, and I put together a, a group of students to come out and see the plane. And at first I was just gonna share this sculpture, giant metal art sculpture. And it was at that moment where I was thinking about, okay, what does a paper airplane mean? And then I realized that through my process with it, the power of intention and how this intuitive desire just fueled this monumental effort and something was put into this world. And so that's on the spot, came up with launch intention. And as the kids were coming over, I decided to talk about intention. And we gathered, there was about 30 students. And I also, I believe to share information, our, our best way to share information, even if we're trying to, you know, I, I think it's so funny, we try to teach each other things. 
But I think the best way to share information is just through your example and your experience, because then you can you can pick up on what relates to you and what doesn't. Um, so I, I, I shared my you know example of this process, and then you know other areas in my life where you know something really meant something to me, and I, I followed it. And what can happen? And we broke up into small groups. I I had like four or five friends. They had flown out to see it. And uh, we broke up into small groups and I had each student write an intention of their own. And then we all reconvened and formed a circle and went one at a time. And this, these students were like uh, middle, middle school and high school age. And what was shared was the most profound thing I had ever heard. There wasn't any uh, material or individual goals. It was either worldly service or profound vulnerability. I want to be brave. I want to find my voice. I want to be heard. Things like this. And instantly at that moment, I knew what launch intention was. The series of launch intention works from the 25 to 50 foot versions in places like Bentonville and Utah to the images you can find on caps he's designed wouldn't have happened if he hadn't listened to his friend suggest a giant scale airplane would be cool. If Griffin Loop had allowed the comment to be a fleeting moment. It's a perfect example of allowing the present to have its importance and to express its possibilities because he says you never know where or when something is going to just get you. And when we're when we're gotten, that's when we express and that's when we often find, I think, our our, our per, a lot of purpose, a lot of fulfillment, a lot of success is when we have that energy around it. And of course that could have been a fleeting moment, you know, and since then and working with this project and the more I live and again, it's funny because it's so easily I'm trying to put these things for people to have the experience. I'm trying to have these experiences, you know, and I've learned over the years, like you, you, I attempt to be open and ready for those moments every day. That's my duty. And that's kind of getting out of the way of when I, and, and it catches me off guard, you know, I, I, I am fascinated in entrepreneurship, business, all these things, and I see all these systems, you know, and these strategies that work for people and businesses, and it's amazing, and I seem to be someone that I think catching those divine intersections of like energy and opportunities. I spoke with Griffin Loop inside the Ramirez Room at the Ledger in downtown Bentonville. You can see examples of his work at griffinloop.com. This is Ozarks at Large. This is Reflections in Black, and I'm your host, Raven Cook. Reflections in Black is a segment dedicated to considering the legacy of black Americans in the United States and around the globe. Each episode has been carefully designed to lead you to wonder, encourage you to research, and support you in ways to use new knowledge to make a difference in our world. Our first step starts here and now with the new episode of Reflections in Black. It's a new year, and I love this time of year. It is filled with transition and hope. 
One thing I quickly started to notice around November 2023 as discussions of a new year approached was how much people discussed being fearful of what could happen in the next year. Political fears seem to be on the forefront of everyone's thinking, and questions about the safety and security of the American people was a huge topic of conversation. Headlines began to sound like Nina Simone singing, Can't you see it? I know you can feel it. It's all in the air. I can't stand the pressure much longer. Somebody say a prayer. The wisest thing we can do in times like this is to look to those like Dr. King, who quite frequently said a prayer about the very things we are discussing today. One book that I have seemingly been drawn to is Strength to Love by Dr. King. In the text, there are a series of writings that outline the guiding ideology of Dr. King's philosophies on humanity, nonviolence, and equality. One writing I find especially important in times like this is Antidotes to Fear. Dr. King begins saying, In these days of catastrophic and calamitous uncertainty, is there any man who does not experience the depression and bewilderment of crippling fear, which like a nagging hellhound pursue our every footstep? In the first section of the writing, Dr. King reminds us all of humanity's relationship to fear. Fears of illness, of insecurity, economic fears, fears of war, and as he says, a fear of what life may bring. As Dr. King continues to outline thoughts around fear, he emphasizes that his goal is not to encourage us to eliminate fear, because fear can be essential for the body to warn of impending danger. King, however, does encourage us to recognize how fear is taking hold of us by distinguishing between two kinds of fear. King outlines normal fear motivates us to improve our individual and collective welfare. Abnormal fear constantly poisons and distorts our inner lives. Our problem, he writes, is not to be rid of fear, but rather to harness and master it. Dr. King lays out four significant ways I hope can be valuable as we enter a new year filled with so much uncertainty. Number one, he writes, first, we must unflinchingly face our fears and honestly ask ourselves, why are we afraid? This confrontation, Dr. King notes, to some measure will grant us power. Number two, he teaches we can master fear through one of the supreme virtues known to many as courage. Number three, which I think is a huge challenge for many, Dr. King notes fear is mastered through love. And lastly, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King outlines fear is mastered through faith. Whenever I think about the complexity of these times we live in, I seek out the wisdom of Dr. King and other black leaders who lived through even more intense times of struggle. We stand on their shoulders. And I hope in the year going forward, you will seek out this text by Dr. King and refer to it whenever times get very dark, knowing 
there is always light because you are here to make it. Until next time, peace. Tomorrow on Ozarks at Large, a constitutional amendment in Arkansas that aims to hold private schools to the same standard as public schools. The polling shows this is completely a nonpartisan issue, which is the way education always has been until the past few years. It's becoming more and more hyperpartisan, sadly, at the legislature. But in the public, we have overwhelming support across all party identities. A conversation about the educational rights amendment tomorrow on Ozarks at Large at noon and 7 p.m., on 91.3 KUAF. You can also listen for free to our Ozarks at Large podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts. KUAF reaches thousands of listeners every day from all across our region. We reach them over the air, on our website, through our podcast, and even by email with our daily newsletters. And your business or organization could reach all of those listeners, too, when you become a KUAF underwriter. More information is available at KUAF.com and click on support at the top of the screen. Okay, cabin fever might be settling in at some households around the area, and you might be seeking options to leave the house soon after warmer temperatures arrive and provide some melting on the area streets. The days are numbered to see the exhibition Annie Leibovitz at work at Crystal Bridges Museum of American Art in Bentonville. The last day to see the scores of iconic photographs, January 29th. And remember, Crystal Bridges is closed each Tuesday. A family-friendly concert is scheduled for Saturday morning in Joplin as Pro Musica presents Emlyn Johnson, flute, and Daniel Ketter, cello, from the American Wild Ensemble at the Joplin Public Library. It's a one-hour, all-ages performance. It includes music and narration of children's literature and poetry. The concert, beginning Saturday morning at 10 at the Joplin Public Library, is free. No registration is required. You could use a day away from home Saturday to... Start the year healthier. Walmart is making Saturday its first wellness day of 2024, offering screenings for glucose, cholesterol, body mass index, and blood pressure at stores nationwide. Also, vaccinations for flu, COVID-19, RSV, mumps, and other conditions will also be available. All of this is taking place from 10 until 2 Saturday. A press release from Walmart says the screenings are free and describes the vaccinations as affordable with no cost for COVID-19 vaccinations. More than 38 stores within 50 miles of downtown Fayetteville will be participating and about 19 stores within 50 miles of downtown Fort Smith will be offering the screenings and vaccination. Nationwide, more than 4,600 Walmart stores are participating. You can find a location near you at Walmart dot com slash wellness hub. Now, if you'd rather just look ahead to spring, I understand. Interform is readying for its next 
NWA Spring Fashion Week. This year's spring event comes along with the title Return to Form and will bring local designers and models together March 28th, 29th, and 30th. More details available at interform.art, and we'll hear more about it on an upcoming edition of Ozarks at Large. And first days of baseball. Not that far away. For the Northwest Arkansas Naturals, it's Friday, April 5th, when the Nats will host Tulsa for the season opener. There will be post-game fireworks. Season tickets and single-game tickets are now on sale for the Naturals. And the first day of baseball at Bomb Stadium is even closer. The Arkansas Razorbacks host James Madison for the season opener on Friday, February 16th. And warmer weather is on the way, according to the National Weather Service. First tonight, cloudy with lows from 24 to 27 throughout the KUAF listening area. Tomorrow, tomorrow, sunshine, highs around 42 in northwest Arkansas, reaching into the upper 40s tomorrow in the Arkansas River Valley. And then it's winter again Thursday night. In fact, in northwest Arkansas, could be some snow flurries after 9 o'clock, lows of 12 with wind chills tomorrow night between 1 and 6 degrees. No mention of flurries for the Arkansas River Valley Thursday night. Still, though, clouds and a low of 18. This is Ozarks at Large. Ryan Rogers earned an undergraduate degree in physics and his Ph.D. in theoretical chemistry. But science doesn't fully define him or his ideas. He's launched novel brands in ceramics, fashion, and education. Ryan's name came up when I was talking with people at the Fayetteville Public Library about their From Maker to Market program and entrepreneurial assistance project. The next from Maker to Market is accepting applications now at faylib.org. We wanted to know more about how Ryan used the program to give him a boost for an entrepreneurial spirit he says he had possessed for some time. But it wasn't anything that I really knew how to do with for, for years and years. Is that where the being part of that cohort uh, at the Fayetteville Public Library came in? It did help a lot with um, taking some of the next steps. So my history is actually that, you know, just like so many little kids, I'd say I, you know, tinkered around with Legos and, um, you know, things like that as a kid, building things. And so I had this fascination with having an idea in my head and then constructing it, actually being able to hold in my hand the, the idea that I had had in my head. Um, but fast forward, and I did undergraduate at the University of Central Arkansas, got a four-year degree in physics. And then I came up to the University of Arkansas and got my Ph.D. in theoretical chemistry. Um, and those are much uh, – those are really interesting fields, and they allowed me to pursue some of my math interests and stuff like that. And they're much safer fields for you know providing income for a family. <laughs> but uh, there was always this nagging thing in the back of my head that you, uh, you always hear people talking about. Oh, I had this really cool idea for this, or yeah, I thought of this years ago, and then I saw it, you know, on the as seen on TV or whatever, right? Oh, then I saw it in the stores in Walmart, and I thought, man, I wish I had done something with my invention, you know. Um, and so I always had that, and I really didn't want that to be me. I didn't want to say years later, man, I I had that idea that 
someone made millions off of that. I, I sure wish I'd capitalized on that idea. So after I finished grad school, I said, okay, you know what? Uh, enough is enough. I've been putting off really diving into inventions and entrepreneurship for a long time. Let's take a stab at it and see where it goes. I want to ask you about a couple of the brands that you have, including Stately Ceramics, which yeah. you can kind of figure out the name. It's mugs that are in the shapes of states, right? That's right. Yeah. Um, so all of my all of my ideas, I'm trying to catalog them on trrdesigns.net. And that's my main website that sometimes I call it the you know, umbrella or the parent website um, because I needed some very broad, nonspecific, nondescript name like TRR Designs just for Timothy Ryan Rogers um, because I had a bunch of these different ideas and all the ideas on there, Stately Ceramics, and we can talk in a second about well-stated clothing. These are just ideas that I had. It's not that I set out to become, you know, the single greatest, you know, ceramicist of all time or anything like that. I had this idea, um, actually while I was in graduate school, how do you make the shape of Arkansas three-dimensional people? I noticed people in Northwest Arkansas are crazy about the shape of the state. You know, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of pride in that shape. We're from Arkansas. There it is. And it's a great simple shape. You know, it's, it's just barely not a square. (laughs) It's got some noticeable features that, make it stand out so it's easy to draw by hand, but recognizable. So there's a lot of perks to the shape of Arkansas. And um, you've seen various cool art with the state shape. And I'm sure you've seen some really cool topographical maps and um, even you know coasters or something like that that just have that two-dimensional shape. And for whatever reason, I thought, how can you make it three-dimensional? What if it was something that you could hold? And the crazy thing was, at that time, in graduate school, I was studying symmetries of molecules, H2O. You look at H2O, and it basically, um, you know, what does it look like? It looks almost like a V in, in the simplest sense. And so it has a mirror plane of symmetry there. And lots of molecules have these properties where you spin them in a certain way, and then it, it looks like the same molecule all over again. It has symmetry. So I was thinking about symmetry, and then I discovered how you can actually take the shape of Arkansas and essentially make it round, but the profile will still reveal the two-dimensional state shape. Made some cardboard cutouts, figured out, okay, this is pretty cool. I thought it was cool. And then, okay, what could you do with this? Who's, who's going to buy this? Well, if you make it a mug, maybe you make it a coffee mug, and that's more interesting to a wider you know, range of folks. And then I realized that if I can do this with Arkansas, I can apply that same method to other states. So right now on the Stately Ceramics website, I've got Arkansas, Missouri, and Tennessee um, already available. And I have my own – on my own computer, I have CAD models for Texas, Vermont, Nebraska, Minnesota, Iowa, Georgia, all kinds of other states. I would imagine, you know, especially when you go west, right? Iowa could be a good mug, Utah, Nevada, Oregon, Washington. I want to see the Hawaii or the Maryland mugs. I know. People always (laughs) say Hawaii. (laughs) And I'm like, oh, come on. Uh, Because, you know, it's uh, it can be done. It's just could it be done to make anything useful? One really cool um, one really cool state is actually Texas. Now, 
just between you and me, I love the shape of Texas. <laughs> I think it's just growing up in Arkansas in the shadow of this monster state. Um, and it's a horrible shape for any mug or something like that, right? It doesn't, doesn't make a good mug. Um, but in my CAD model, I'm actually planning for Texas to become like a big decorative floating serving platter. Well, and then um, stately clothing, right? That's I've got that name right, right? Yeah. So, well, I called it well stated clothing. Well stated clothing. That's right. That, well, yeah, yes. trying to make it something different from stately ceramics. Well stated clothing. I mean, here you have shirts with pockets, and again, shape of the state is is fundamental to the product. That's right. So that was a similar idea when I came to Northwest Arkansas, and I saw people have. Um, People love the shape of the state. Why can't you make a pocket tee? Well, and also, I came up in 2015, and if I recall, around that time, pocket tees were sort of re-emerging. I remember my grandpa wearing pocket tees, right? And you always, like, grandpas would have stuff bulging out of their pockets, and, like, half their shirt was sagging down because they were really using this pocket. Um, and But I just remember pocket tees were coming back in, you know, there were... Uh, a lot of the fraternities and sororities were starting to do these like oversized pocket tees was the thing. And I thought this is like Arkansas makes a perfect pocket shape. It has a big, um, it has a big flat top that you could just make a hole. Right. And, um, no, actually I was completely wrong. It's really difficult to make, <laughs> to make a pocket. That's not a standard shape. And so I had this idea for a long time and it was a similar time kind of got out of grad school and I finally, had um, the personal time that I could invest in figuring out how to do this. And I don't sew or anything. This is, you know, this is a project that I've collaborated with other folks on, um, talked to other experts to make various levels of prototypes. And, uh, but it turns out it's very difficult. There's a good reason that you don't see these types of shirts everywhere because um, most pockets are made all on one machine. So your standard pocket shapes and like say the uh, imagine even the back of your blue jean pockets, that entire pocket is sewn on one single machine. Whereas when you want to do a unique shape and if you just on wellstatedclothing.com, just in the very home page, um, the background is a set of models wearing all different kinds of shapes of all different state shirts. And to get those shapes, you have to sew them by hand. So I mean you can you can use you can use a machine to do parts of it, but you're you're going to have to put in a lot of elbow grease as opposed to the traditional pocket shapes. So um, yeah, that's that's why that's why it hasn't been done, and that's why it's difficult, and that's what makes it unique. Is that um, good luck finding someone else who's who's going to make such an intricate shape? You and I have talked about brands that are artistic, fashion, three dimensional art, ceramics. Yes. Your degrees, chemistry. Physics. I'm bet- That's right. <laughs> but, but 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 I'm betting that you would say this all works together. This all kind of makes sense. The common thread in these different projects is the joy that I take in taking an idea and let's give them the golden phrase from maker to market. Seeing an idea and then I go in a store. I know that I had this idea a year ago, and then my wife and I walk in a store and we see their stately ceramics on the shelf, you know, and I'm still elbowing her going, that's me, that's me, I did that. <laughs> and she said, I know, I know. Um, but it's, it's really cool. The, 
The other thing is that these projects give me an outlet to do some of the things that aren't so degree-centered. You know, I do have this brand called Ensemble Interactives where I have designed and published um, some peer-reviewed work on science teaching techniques and some tools that help uh, teaching primarily high school and, and college age some very difficult topics. And that's much closer related to my graduate work where I am taking the understanding that I gained in grad school and now trying to apply it down to younger audiences. Um, and that, so that's maybe more what you might expect. Stately ceramics, well-stated clothing, these other things um, are giving you a glimpse of somebody who's not just a degree. You know, we all have so many more ideas other than just uh, what people typically think of as our day job. And so this is how I get those ideas out there. Ryan Rogers spoke with me last week. You can find out more about him and find links to his brands like Stately Ceramics and Well-Stated Clothing at trrdesigns.net. And you can find out more about the From Maker to Market program at the Fayetteville Public Library by searching for it at faylib.org. This is Ozarks at Large. This is Ozarks at Large, a production of KUAF 91.3 Fayetteville. Contributors today include Jack Travis, Jasper Logan, and Raven Cook. Emerson Alexander is the Listening Lab Coordinator here at KUAF. Today's show was produced inside the Bruce and Ann Applegate News Studio 2. If this is your first time listening to Ozarks at Large or your, I don't know, 1,923rd time, thank you. You can find a whole host of stories, new and old, plus a link to subscribe to our free daily newsletter, the podcast, and much more, all at our website, ozarksatlarge.com. Kyle and I will be back with you tomorrow for a brand new edition of Ozarks at Large. That can be your second or 1,924th time, whichever you fall in between there. That's wonderful. Thank you so much for listening. For Kyle Kellams, I'm Matthew Moore. Stay safe, stay warm and be well. Little Wing presents Old Crow Medicine Show coming to the City Auditorium in Eureka Springs with special guest Willie Watson, January 20th. Old Crow Medicine Show at the Auditorium in Eureka Springs. Tickets at tickets.thundertix.com. Walton Arts Center's 10 by 10 Arts Series presents the Galvin Cello Quartet, January 30th at 7 p.m. With members from China, Brazil, South Korea, and the U.S., this diverse ensemble presents a program featuring works by Stravinsky, Vivaldi, Rossini, Gershwin, and others, illustrating the connections that form when cultures are integrated through musical harmony. Tickets at waltonartscenter.org.